mirror of the word today. To see ourselves for who we really are, the good, the bad, and the ugly. To see you for who you are, the true, the good, and the beautiful. We pray, God, today that you would lower our defenses, our systems of self-protection and self-redemption and self-justification and self-righteousness, and we would trust you to be our justification, our righteousness, our truth, our hope. We need you, Holy Spirit, to do this, to remove blinders from our eyes, to break down hard places and calluses in our hearts. We pray, God, you would do it all, not for our greater comfort, ease, or selfish peace in our lives, but for the glory of Jesus, for the advance of his kingdom, the love of God in our neighbor. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if there's one of the, the, one of the easiest ways that you can become an angry person in life, and particularly angry at God, is to put yourself in the engagement of the things of God. If you want to risk deep anger and bitterness at the faith, at the church, at God, then, then the, the thing you're going to do is you're going to invest your life in those things. This is why Jonah is so angry, and this is why oftentimes we get so angry. When we feel like we really give ourselves to God, when we feel like we really understand what He tells us is good and what we need and what we love and what we should cherish and what we should live for, all of a sudden, if we're not careful, and even when we don't often see it, with all of our commitment, with all of our leaning in, with all of our service, with all of our faith, the enemy attaches onto that entitlements. The enemy attaches onto that idolatries. We get angry. I remember one time being in a, a church meeting in another setting where someone was talking about a, a particular portion of the church that they didn't like, that was designed. And I remember the, them saying in that meeting, whoever did this ought to be fired. And, and they thought they were talking about someone else. And I was kind of sitting there, and, and even in my, my often cowardliness, I kind of just raised my hand and I said, I was the one that did that. And it, and it kind of got quiet in the room, but then all of a sudden, it just opened the floodgates. Well, now that we're talking about stuff that you do wrong, what, let's talk about this. And let's talk about this. And let's talk about this. The dam was opened. And that's oftentimes how our anger works. Is we, we, we are living with all of this stuff. And if we're honest, so much of this stuff is not mainly about others. It is mainly about God. So we suppress our anger at God. We deny it. We explode or often what many of us do, we let it trickle out. And we, have, we begin to carry the shadow with us in our life that is over all of our experiences. It now becomes how we interpret everything. And then we bring it into our relationships with others. It darkens our lives. It darkens the world. And at the heart of it, we, we, we develop with Jonah this sort of self-pity. You know, Jonah's called many things the pouting prophet. Some call him the sulking servant. And we justify it in so many ways. 
and we, and we, we get trapped and, and, and we're unable to reconcile with others no matter how, how many times we try or unreconcile with ourselves. But the reality is what we need to do is to be reconciled again to God. Maybe some people have said the main lessons in the book of Jonah are Jonah chapter 4. We often want to focus on the fish, and the fish is important, but this is the climax, the consummation of this book. Many people even stop the story of Jonah at the end of Jonah chapter 3, right? Jonah runs, gets delivered by the fish, goes and preaches, great revival in the city. But this book ends in a very strange way. It ends without the kind of resolution that we might like. It ends with Jonah sulking in the fact that the God that he thought he was serving turned out to be someone he didn't know if he could trust. So this is very important. The whole story of God really is one of us wanting to suppress our anger, to blame others, when the real issue is our dissatisfaction with God. In the Garden of Eden, where are you? Why did you sin? What does Adam do? It's the woman you gave me. To the woman. Why did you do this? It's the, it's the serpent that was here. But what's the statement behind the statement? It's the one you gave me. We see this is the subtle subtext behind so much of our inward struggles and our outward sins. So imagine us in this story. Imagine the Pharisees of the New Testament in this story. Imagine Israel reading this story. And let us learn to listen to our anger, especially our anger at God. What does our anger reveal? Our anger reveals, first of all, Jonah's, our hearts, as Jonah's heart is revealed. So we see some things here about Jonah's heart. The first, in verse 1, is Jonah's displeasure at God. Now think about this. Jonah has just preached what might be the greatest revival in the history of the world. A city of 120,000 up to its government officials largely bow the knee to God. And you would think Jonah might be like, all right, I'm the man. This is what it's all about. God wanted us, Israel to be alike to the nations. God wanted... To, to use a prophet to do this. And he sent me into this enemy territory where many other people would be afraid to go. I went there. I stood tall. I preached the gospel. And the Holy Spirit came down and, and revival happened. But that's not Jonah's response. He's ticked off. It displeased him exceedingly. He's disappointed with God. Notice verse 2. It's not just that he's thinking, oh, the Ninevites are probably faking. You know, they've just had their, uh, their prison conversion. You know, God's about to wipe you out. And so they're like, oh, okay, we repent. You know, he may be thinking that. But he's not mainly upset at that. He's mad at God. He says, Did I, is this not what I told you would happen? I told you this would happen, God. I, I want to tell you guys, I don't want to exaggerate this. I've, I've been honestly in tears this week reading this because I find myself so much in this story. My, my, my wife at least could tell you, I, I like to be the, the, the prophet 
of bad things. This is what I mean. Something bad happens like this. I knew it was going to happen. Knew it was going to happen. I told you it would happen. I knew it. And I might say that to others, saying it to God. God, I told you. I knew that if, we, if I did this or did that, it wouldn't work. It would fall apart. It always does. You're always messing with me. Jonah here, he just, because he's so trapped in his own inner world, he doesn't believe that God can be both just and gracious. He doesn't believe that God can both be doing something here and doing something here. He believes that Israel should should be loved and cared for and protected from this wicked empire that now he sees as being threatened through what may be their false conversion. It's not just a theological issue, it's deeper. It's an, it's an issue of idolatry. And we don't throw that around as a cliche thing. It's just, the, it's just read, the, read the Bible. It's, it's, it's telling us the fundamental image that's given to describe our rebellion against God is when God becomes replaced by something else. And Jonah is giving this drastic response. Notice verse 3. Therefore now, our Lord, please take my life from me. It's better for me to die than to be alive. That's pretty extreme. Pretty extreme. I won't ask you to... I'll ask one person in here myself to raise their hand. Who preaching this morning could raise their hand and say that they've ever had that thought come across their mind or that sentence? You can raise it in your hearts. Josiah thinks it. I would just rather, if, if this is the way you're going to be God, if you're going to do stuff that I don't like, then I'd just rather be dead. Jonah gives this drastic response because his idol is threatened. And for Jonah, it may be something akin to Israel nationalism. Or maybe his experience or his role in it. Because just think, Jonah's been the guy, if you go back into 2 Kings, he's prophesying the restoration and protection of Israel. And so although God's used him in the survival, now he's got to be the guy who walks back into town with all of his friends and be like, yeah, I'm the one God used to keep our enemies from judgment. That is not what he wanted his role to be in the kingdom. So we feel some sympathy here for Jonah. God has given him a role to play in his mission that he did not really want to play. God has used Jonah to make Jonah's worst nightmare come true. And he's ticked. He'd rather die than live in a world like this. Verse 4, And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? God questions Jonah's emotional state. God doesn't only comfort us in our emotional states, God confronts us in them. Verse 5. So Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat in it under the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now imagine this. Jonah is still holding out hope that God is going to make, bring judgment on Nineveh. It's hot. 
He sets up his booth, and he's like, God, I know you're a God of grace. I know you did all this, but maybe there's a chance, God. Maybe there's a chance you're going to give them what they deserve. Maybe there's a chance that I'll get what I want. And I'm just going to quit participating and sit over here and mope and just with my arms crossed saying, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to do it, God. I'm not going to soften my heart to who you are. I'm not going to soften my heart to those people. I'm, I'm just going to sit here and I'm going to hope you do your thing, change your mind, and realize I'm right. If you've ever been in any type of relationship for a period of time, whether you're married or not, this thought has probably went across your head is, you're not who I thought you were. If there's ever a statement that causes us to have anger and bitterness in our relational spheres, it's that one. You know, when we first met, you were this. But now, after I've got to know you, I see you're this. And it's, and it's not just that that brings discomfort in our life. So often, we feel betrayed. We feel tricked. We feel like we were baited and switched. It can happen in relationships, roommates, friends. Marriages, churches. And we have to ask ourselves and be aware of the relational cycles. All of us have them. If you look at all of your relationships, whether they be with people or institutions, you can probably see a, a, current, a common pattern. Oh yeah, I usually get to this point in this relationship where I feel betrayed. I usually get to this point in this relationship to where I feel like they didn't turn out to be who they really were. Well, if we're honest, that same thing happens with God. But we don't know how to deal with it. It turns out, He didn't come to serve our dreams. It turns out, even when we get committed our life to Him like a prophet, that things didn't work out according to our plans. Turns out He ticks you off sometimes. But what we see in this and that God is seeking not to crush us, God is seeking to show us who we are so that we can really be who we were meant to be in light of who He truly is. So we have to ask ourselves, what does our anger at God reveal about our hearts? Will we be honest? Some questions you can ask yourself. One is, where are you displeased with God's plan for your life or with others? I thought, I thought we'd have an easier marriage. Not angry at God. I thought I would be those parents who finally got it. Not angry at God. I thought I would be a part of a church that actually lived this. Not angry at God. I thought I'd have that job by this time. I didn't think I'd end up being that cliche or stereotype. 
here I am. We're angry. And maybe not all of us, but most of us, if we had admitted at times, are angry at God. We're angry too because we see others being blessed, other Ninevehs in our life. We get on social media and we think, golly bum, look at them enjoying life. Look at all they have. And guess what? I've been more faithful. Why are you blessing them, God, and I'm sitting over here in a shade just waiting for you to throw me a bone? And sometimes we grieve due to the brokenness of the world, but as, as one great old theologian said, our hearts are idle factories. We can move very fast to, from a genuine desire to an idolatrous demand. So we get to where we're at with Jonah and we're like, if I don't have this, I have no desire to live. That means that a good thing has become a God. God, I'm your follower, but if you don't give me this, I'm going to go sit in the shade. Notice here, Jonah is upset not over a bad thing, but a good thing. Remember, we, we, we understand where Jonah's coming from. Jonah loves the people of Israel. He doesn't want to see them get hurt. He doesn't want to see God not bring judgment on a people who will threaten the very existence of those He loves. Why is it so important we see this? Because we can often say that because what we're angry at God over, or just angry in general over, is a good thing, it's a righteous anger. Maybe. But a righteous anger does not lead us to bitterness. A righteous anger does not lead us to detachment. A righteous anger does not lead us to anxiety. A righteous anger does not lead us into being judgmental. A righteous anger does not lead us to just being flat out mean. A righteous anger does not lead us into self-righteousness. A righteous anger leads us to a deeper love of God and a love of other people. When we feel inordinate or unholy, or extreme anger or sadness in our life, it's, it's like our car's overheating. It's a gauge. Our emotions are, are blessings. Our emotions are like our car's overheating. And I've said this before. Healthy people don't do like me and move the picture of your kids over just a little bit, right? So you can keep driving. And you're thinking, well, my car's still working, so I guess everything's okay. Yeah, it's working for now. Healthy people say, what is this telling me about my heart? What's going on under the hood? Because as long as that idol is there, I don't feel like this is an exaggeration. You can read your Bible every day. You can pray every day. You can attend everything the church makes available for you to attend. But you will remain fragile, defensive, and stuck until you let all of those means of grace bear witness to the reality and the truth of God on whatever has that stronghold in your heart. But the good news is, is our anger not only reveals our hearts, but it reveals God's heart. This is really good news. I mean, we've already seen God pursue Jonah once, and that was fascinatingly amazing, wasn't it? And you would think God at this point could say, God, John, I'm just sick of it. Mm. You know, I've already saved you with this fish. That didn't change you? 
You had this great experience. You wrote this beautiful poem and song about the Lord is salvation. And, and not again. Or, aren't we thankful God's not like, if this is how our relationship's going to be, if you know your whole life I'm just going to have to keep coming back to you and bringing you back, you know, that's, you're just too much trouble. Aren't we thankful God's not like that to us? The, 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 the scandalizing grace of God in this book is not God's really love towards Nineveh, it's towards Jonah. They, they don't know their right hand from their left hand, God says. Jonah probably has the Old Testament memorized. So we notice some things about God's heart. First of all, God's curriculum He uses to subvert our idolatry. Verse 6. The Lord appoints. This word's used a lot. We see the sovereignty of God in Jonah, but it's a sovereign goodness. It's a sovereign grace. But we've already seen, like the fish would have not felt like that. What's about to happen here ain't going to feel like that. So God gives him this shade, this plant, to protect him from the sun. Notice, to save him from his discomfort. So God knew I'm, Jonah needs a little relief right now. Aren't we thankful for that? Sometimes God, He gives us what we don't deserve, right? Everything's falling apart, and we're thinking, if this one more thing happened, you know, I might run my truck off a cliff, or I might do something crazy, right? And then God gives a little shade, right? Notice the text. To save him from his discomfort. What grace. But it doesn't end there. Because notice... Here we see this. Jonah was exceedingly angry. Now notice what Jonah is. He's exceedingly glad. This guy's got an emotional range, doesn't he? And it's about to flip again. Exceedingly angry. Exceedingly glad. Now he's like too happy. And just think, we can't be too sad, and we can't be too angry, and we can't be too happy. All of our emotions can be exaggerated to unhealthy places, even though all of those emotions are gifts to us to lead us back to God. And so God does this, but then the next day, He gives Him, he gives him a day of shade. The next day, though, God appoints a worm to attack the plant. Notice again, God appoints it. And then He appoints the scorching east wind that where I hadn't already talked a thousand minutes too long about the first point, I could tell you all the background, historical background about that. Go study it. But notice now, Jonah asked to die again. Jonah was faint, and he asked that he might die. And notice, this is, this is Jonah's line at this point in his heart. It's better for me to die than to live. Jonah has become, as it were, one giant open wound. What do I mean by that? His, he, he was suicidal over God's grace to Nineveh and the fact that he was the one God used to do it. But now, even just being really hot makes him want to die. Well, we've been there. It's just the proverbial straw that breaks the camel's back. You know, on a day when it feels like you know, your life's just falling apart and then that little thing happens. So God confronts him again. Verse 9. Do you do well to be angry for the plant? I want us to imagine this. 
uh, God, he's staying calm, but he's, he's not going to just pat John on the back and say, oh, baby, you've had a hard, hard time. Just, just be mad. No, he's, he's, he loves him too much to do that. Do you do well to be angry? Angry enough to die? Again, Jonah. Yes! I do. I do do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. Quit asking me. Don't question how I feel. These people didn't get what they deserved. This world is unjust. My plan didn't turn out like I wanted. And it was a plan you told me. You said, God, you were going to restore Israel. You said, God, you were going to protect them. And you said, God, you were going to use me. And now this has happened. And I can't even... You won't even let my shade last. It's like on those days in my life. You you know, you think your marriage is going to fall apart. Maybe you think the church is going to fall apart. And then your son steps in dog poop. And you leave the shoes outside overnight, his brand new LeBrons that his grandparents got him, and the neighbor's dog comes and gets it, I guess, and runs away with them. And you're like, God, life is hard enough. Can you spare the shoe? And then your van starts breaking down. You're like, we're trying to do good things here, God. Can you not just leave our shoes alone? Can you not leave our cars alone? And then you go to the pantry and somebody's left three peanuts and you say, like, I just wanted some peanuts. And then you throw the peanut jar like a or can, like you're some big tough guy. Nobody's watching but God. And then if you were in my life, in my heart, you can watch a grown man melt down one way or the other and then justify it. So Jonah says, yes, God, I am justified in my despair over this plant. It was a good plant. It gave me comfort in a hard world. I mean, we've got to be sympathizing to me. This was giving me comfort in a bad life. My air conditioner's not working on my truck either. But anyway. So God's response, verses 10 and 11. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did not make it grow. It just lasted for a night, for a day. So He says, Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons, images of God, that don't know their right hand from their left, and all these cattle? God's grace is brutal sometimes. I am more passionate about a lost shoe than I am about a lost person. I'm more passionate about the regulated temperature in my vehicle than I am about eternal realities of heaven and hell. I'm more passionate about God doing what I think He should do how He should judge others and put them in the place and reveal their sin and show them how hurtful they are than I am about God's grace being experienced in my life and in their life. 
Jonah loves a plant more than he loves people. So do we. Whatever your plant is. We love our plans more than we love people. We love our agendas, our visions of glory, more than we love God and others. We think God should be for us first. Our lost neighbors and nations are there while we're sitting in our anger, not working on it, not submitting it to Christ, but just waiting until God cooperates with us. And we may say, well, that's God. I'm not God. But God is showing us what it means to be truly human as image bearers of Him and being so compassionate. John Calvin calls John, Jonah's greatest sin, this is, this is good, the sin of being inhuman. Inhuman. Because a human was created to be in the image of a God who is compassionate and gracious and who reflects who He is by trusting who He is. Who trusts His heart, as Spurgeon says, even when we can't trace His hand. And being inhuman will lead to very bitter, unfulfilled lives where we sit and we sulk, waiting for a God to come and serve us who is never going to come. God will not come to serve us in our idolatries, but He will come to set us free. And where do we see that God did this most? Well, we know the good news, the place, the person that we must end with every week, and it's in Jesus. Aren't we so thankful that Jesus was not sitting in heaven hoping that we got what we deserved? That when Jesus got angry, and He got really angry sometimes, but it was a righteous anger over division among the people who were called to be gods, and over death in the world. It was not over the role that God gave Him in the mission. It was not because He had to humble Himself to the point of a servant, lay aside His rights so that we could be redeemed. Jesus gets sad and weeps, but not sad enough to kill Himself, but sad enough to die for others so that they might experience the love of God. Jesus' life is marked by great emotional pain and trouble, but it's not marked by a selfish inward turn that leads him to want to move to the sidelines. But to say, Father, will you take this cup from me? Nevertheless, not what I will, but your will be done. Jesus took the wrath that Nineveh deserved. Jesus took the wrath that Jonah deserved. And Jesus took the wrath that we deserve. He laid aside His rights to do it. He laid aside His comfort to do it. He loved us. He died for us. He took on all our idolatry, our bitterness, our unrighteous anger, our despair that leads us into death. On the cross, Jesus did not pray, Father, give it to them. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know their right hand from their left. Or in His words, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He loves His enemies. And on the cross we see 
Jonah's theological problem solved because at the cross we see the justice of God dealt out in full measure but the grace of God given in full beauty. Now I want us to imagine us continuing to grow into a church that can live and handle this type of relationship with God. Where He doesn't meet our expectations. But He always gives us Himself. This is how this book ends. I like the way Sinclair Ferguson said it. Grace has the last word. We don't know how Jonah's going to respond. We're not told. But we know God's response. I'm a God of compassion. Imagine us being a church that is more passionate about the lost than our plans and our comforts. For us to grow into this and the type of relational community we want to be will mean that we have to listen to our anger, to learn from it, to be honest about it, let God question it and to let Him lead us to the cross so that it does not lead us into bitterness but it leads us into the love of God and others.